0: Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order.
1: Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hey everybody, welcome to Everyday Acupuncture. I've got Neil Civilla with me today. Neil is an acupuncturist. He's a rather unusual acupuncturist because all of his patients are critters. He's a veterinarian. And while there's many veterinarians that, that do acupuncture as kind of a sideline or an add-on thing that they do, the only medicine that Neil practices with his patients is Chinese medicine. And so I'm really excited to have him on the show today to talk about animals, your pets, what it's like to be a veterinarian acupuncturist and to maybe even touch a little bit into how this works with animals when there's no such thing as the placebo effect a lot of people think acupuncture and placebo have a lot to do with each other and there may be some something to that you know after all most medical interventions have some aspect of placebo but with animals i suspect it's a bit different but i don't know that for sure Which is why I'm glad to have Neil here today. Neil, welcome to
2: the show. Good morning. Thanks.
1: How long have you been a veterinarian?
2: Uh, 27 years now.
1: Holy smokes. You don't look that old in your picture.
2: (laughs) Thank you. And
1: have you always gone from this perspective of Chinese medicine,
2: or what brought you to this? Uh, No, I haven't. was raised in a pretty pretty traditional setting, um, ended up having some sports injuries in high school and some back surgery, mm-hmm. and then in veterinary school started to have some knee pain. And... F- I was doing some postgraduate work in Minnesota at the time at the veterinary college there, and our health insurance covered acupuncture. And I was very curious, and I went, and the physician who was trained in acupuncture at the health service was wonderful. And he treated me, and and it was great, and he um, gave me some textbooks to read, and it just all took off from there. Wow.
1: How do you get training Here in the United States as a veterinarian acupuncturist, that that just, to me, it seems a little bit, you know, off the, I don't know about off the radar, but it's not the uh, usual kind of thing that people do. How do you, how do you get trained?
2: Yeah. You know, it's it's all postgraduate work now. Um, A majority of the veterinary colleges in North America now offer uh, acupuncture as a clinical service. our patients, but nobody really, nobody teaches a full in-depth course in acupuncture to veterinary students. Um, So, but they do, depending on the college, they might get some exposure through an elective or something like that, or if they rotate through the service where an acupuncturist might be working. But for those of us that want to get certified or or learn more in practice, um, there are three at this time, there are three programs, postgraduate programs in in uh, the United States that that teach veterinarians acupuncture. So they're they're set up on a module basis, where you might go away for a like a Wednesday through Sunday, five or six times. So it, it starts, you know, a couple hundred hours for the basic course, um, and that really just gets people started. You know, everyone I know has hundreds or thousands of hours on top of that. But uh, yeah, so there's. One program that's uh, offered in Florida that's strictly Chinese medicine through the Qi Institute. There's a program through the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society that's a sort of a traveling program. It's in a different uh, city in the U.S. every year. And then there's a program that's offered as a postgraduate through the Colorado Veterinary Medical Association. And that program is strictly neurologically based. So Mm -hmm. no Chinese medicine at all.
1: Right. Yeah. Kind of the the dry needling of... uh of The veterinary world, maybe
2: yeah they get a they get uh, strictly from a neurologic perspective, so they don't they don't talk about the stuff that we like at all, yeah um, so it produces a different sort of acupuncturist
1: right, yeah, it would i let me just back this up for just, for just a moment. I want to make sure I heard correctly. you said that most veterinarian schools that are teaching veterinarians how to be veterinarians also have some kind of acupuncture module and in the student clinic offer acupuncture services. Did I hear that correctly?
2: Well, more and more. There will be more um, colleges that offer acupuncture as a service to their clients than schools that have any sort of elective for the students, but that's really growing year by year. When I looked uh, just recently, uh, really the majority of veterinary colleges on their websites have acupuncture listed as as a service they provide, which, which is awesome.
1: You know, it's awesome, and it raises a question for me, and I'm hoping you have some insight into this, because I, I will often talk to people here in Missouri, where I live, and, and they rave about how their animal gets acupuncture, but they don't get acupuncture. And so hearing about veterinary and medical schools offering it as a service, and yet how many medicine schools here in the united states will offer that as a service so i'm I'm a little curious why is this in, in your opinion if you have an opinion why is this so accepted or popular with animals and yet you know, for human beings we kind of hold back on it
2: it's weird um you know i think probably you know the Scientific basis of acupuncture certainly I imagine debated in every veterinary college and whether or not they should offer it. But I think that's, you know, the fact that they do is strictly client driven. I mean, people want it. And, you know, since I've been practicing acupuncture on animals, we consistently ask our new clients if they've had it themselves because that just gives us a starting place to work from, you know. And. You know, I'm in Northeast Ohio. You're in St. Louis, and and I wouldn't consider myself to be in a hotbed of Chinese medicine. But over the years, over since '99, when I've been doing acupuncture, I've noticed more and more, uh, even in the last few years, that clients are saying that yes, they've they've tried it themselves, or they know someone who has. So I find that really encouraging. That it used to be flip flop, where you know. They, that I was their first exposure to acupuncture, but now I think, uh, at least in our practice, that a, a ton of people have had it themselves, which is awesome.
1: Yeah. In, increasingly, it's becoming more and more mainstream. And if not mainstream, it, at least people in the mainstream have heard of it or they know somebody who's had it. Yeah. What kind of issues do people bring their pets to you for to be treated with acupuncture?
2: Well, you know, the, the, the fast answer is everything, but uh, we have, a, our practice, we, we're a bit unique in that we see a lot of geriatric patients. So for us, you know, the, I think clients think of us maybe for uh, conditions of discomfort, so arthritis or pain-related things or paralysis, nerve problems. Um, you know, digestive issues, allergies—you know—all the things that that a traditional human acupuncturist would see in their practice, we see in ours. We just tend to see our caseload skews toward uh, geriatrics and cancer. Of course, would be a big one for us too.
1: Mm. Talk to us a bit about how you use Chinese medicine to help animals with uh, with cancer.
2: Sure. You know, um, those folks may come to us, those owners, with. Um, having just received, a, you know, some pretty bad news. And and they may want to either just, uh, they may be dead set against doing traditional care, whether that be surgery or radiation or chemotherapy. And sometimes that's a misconception because in animals, they can tolerate those things a lot better than people do. So sometimes we'd involve some counseling on our part to say, hey, maybe you want to think about at least considering those things if it's going to uh, provide a a better outcome or, or at least we can um, combine with traditional medicine. So we, we get those clients who, who maybe want to do everything possible for their pet. And so we're, we're, we're an integrative therapy along with traditional care. We, make it, we get those clients who don't want to, for whatever reason, whether it's philosophy on their part or, or economic concerns, they don't want to do tr- traditional cancer care. We may see those or we, we certainly see those clients as, as well. So we just tailor our our treatments based on uh, what they're looking for. So if we need to work around whether they're getting radiation or chemotherapy, then we do that. Otherwise, you know, we just we go all in and, and you know, we're talk to them about diet and quality of life things that we can help with and immune system stimulation or modulation and and just try to be there and and, and help them through what's a really difficult time.
1: Yeah. What kind of dietary advice do you tend to give well I'll ask this as a two part question for your patients with cancer and also just in general
2: when we're looking at cancer patients we you know we want to, at least in our office I mean the big thing is that we need to keep them eating so you know we can we can give a, a client, you know, the ideal of, you know, yes, we know that certain cancers love carbohydrates. So we may want to prescribe a diet that's low in carbohydrates and, and high in protein and fat. Mm-hmm. So we can maintain some sort of body condition. Um, but, you know, when we get down the trail a little bit, we may just say, you know, what we're, we're looking at quality of life here. And if, if uh, that pet wants to have literally a hamburger from McDonald's, then that's what you should do. So, you know, looking at cancer patients, that's probably the the bulk of it. When we look at our, our other patients, I mean, just we're working off the same things that a traditional acupuncturist would. You know, we're looking at uh, energy patterns and, you know, is this a hot condition? We want to feed a cooling diet. Do we want to get rid of grains and maybe go to a cooler pro- cooling protein if we've got a dog with anxiety? Um, so we do a lot of looking at the nutrition from a Chinese medicine perspective, but also just reminding folks that maybe they need to, you know, food is medicine and maybe we need to just up their game a little bit as far as the quality of food that they're feeding.
1: Yeah. So the principles that hold true for human beings in terms of, and we're going to talk Chinese medicine speak here for a second. So you listeners that aren't familiar with this, bear with us for a moment. Um, But if a condition is hot or if it's cold or if there's dampness, Animals are going to respond to foods and to herbs the same as humans?
2: You bet. You bet. And it's wonderful. Wow. Yeah.
1: Timeless principles at work here.
2: You mentioned
1: immune modulation. What kind of things do you do for that? And what kind of conditions do you consider immune modulation important for?
2: Well, we we try not to confuse our clients with, you know, immune stimulating when we've got a cancer patient because we don't want them to think we're going to make the patient worse. And, you know, that's been a misconception in veterinary medicine, at least for a long time with acupuncture and, and Chinese medicine is that you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do acupuncture in a patient with cancer. And we know that, that that's just not true. So we, we try to phrase things in that, you know, we're helping them fight this, this cancer instead of stimulating the immune system and letting it get out of control but you know we're looking at say we've got allergies or inflammatory bowel disease where we're just trying to you know ratchet down the immune system or just control it a little bit and get it back under control so that the patient can get better.
1: Yeah I find in my practice often people will think more immune stimulation is better right the the better the immune system or the stronger the immune system the better but sometimes it's it really is a matter of I don't know if I want to say dialing it back, but, but regulating it. So it does just what it needs to do without doing too much. Because Absolutely. we all know, and, and we see a lot of this. I'm sure you see a lot of this. I know I do, which is various kinds of autoimmune diseases. Yes. Yeah. It often turns out to be kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You don't want too much. You don't want too little. It's, you want it
2: just right. Exactly.
1: I'd like to jump a little bit into the idea of placebo here. Just because often people think of acupuncture as some very elaborate uh, sham treatment that you know talks people into being better or something like that. I'd like to begin with, from a veterinarian point of view, do you guys consider placebo? Is placebo uh, even something that, that comes to mind when you think about treating animals?
2: You know, we, we do need to consider it. I don't know that, um, there's certainly no real good research that that shows the the effect of placebo on animals, and so the, I, I think probably. I mean, we try to create an environment in our office that's welcoming. We don't put any patients on cold stainless steel exam tables. We're playing calming music. We've got essential oils that we're we're diffusing. You know, we're trying to make it really comfortable for these guys, and so I think they they certainly relax, and the clients notice it. And it's really rewarding for us that they say, you know, they they're never like this at the regular vet. <laughs> you know, it, so we're creating an environment, I think, that makes it favorable for them to relax and, and certainly get the most out of their treatment. I don't know that that alone is contributing to any sort of placebo on the patient's part. But we certainly have to deal with the, the kind of bias in both directions, actually, from owners. So, you know, we may have an owner that they want their pet to get better so badly that that they're willing to, to see anything as you know kind of wish that uh, good things are happening when when they may not be. And on the on the flip side, we may have uh, a lot of times if we have couples come in and, and you know the, the one spouse may feel that the pet is no better, and the other spouse feels that the pet is better. And you know we try to we try to look at things objectively and say, well you know are they doing things that are they eating better? Or does their stool look better? Are they in our case with our geriatrics you know are they more mobile can they do things that they couldn't do before and and so that we try to eliminate that sort of observer bias uh, and that kind of indirect placebo effect that way
1: i want to dig into this a little bit more because i've had patients from time to time say things like well of course acupuncture would work they do it on animals and it works and animals don't have placebo effects so i'd like to get your take on and, and this is your personal take Right, just from being a yeah. practitioner, not necessarily from doing research and such. How susceptible are
2: animals to placebo? Personally, I don't see that in my practice. It's not been my my clinical experience
1: that placebo fits into this.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think we see that the patients are going to get if they get a, a treatment and they're going to respond, they get better. If they're if they're not, they're they're not going to. So I, I don't see. You know, I think like we talked, the the observer issue is the more prominent one for me, rather than the fact that the animal is responding to responding to some sort of placebo effect. Now, skeptics of veterinary acupuncture would say that that all of the that it's entirely the entire response is due to placebo. But you know, we know neurologically from the work in animals and the work in people that you know they are responding. I'm I'm confident that we're getting a true effect from it. Mm-hmm.
1: This to me brings up another. This is a question I deal with in my own mind on a regular basis, and uh, and since we're talking about perception and kind of talking about mind a bit, I I just happened to notice uh, in the last email that you sent me, there's a little link to about me, and it's it you know talks about. Uh, It takes you to a site, talks a bit about you and what you're doing, and it sounds like you've also got some background in Buddhism. Yes. Okay, so I've got a question here about mind, and I'm curious to see your thoughts on how this fits into this whole placebo treatment, you know, funny whirly gig thing we're talking about here. Sure. It seems to me that in the, at least here in the West, when the mind makes the body ill, we tend to call that Uh, hypochondria. And if the mind makes the body well, we tend to call it placebo. The question that I've got is, what is going on here with this thing called mind that it seems to have such an incredibly profound effect on our physical well-being?
2: I know it's the, I think just this whole idea that the mind body connection and, and that these guys, whether they're patients, whether they're human or animal, certainly that everything is just so tied in that, that yeah, any sort of disturbance in one, in one area, we see, we see it all day long. These animals with uh, stress issues that, that become physically ill and that, that's a big, comp- that's a big component that, you know, getting that part of it down too.
1: Mm hmm. You had mentioned just a little bit earlier about how your clinic is quite a bit different than the usual veterinarian clinic, and it's a very calming, very relaxing place, both for the animals and for the people.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
1: And so this is a piece of what you're trying to cultivate here so that that the whole body-mind has a chance to settle a bit.
2: Yes. And that, you know... We certainly see that in, in veterinary acupuncture, just what you experience with people is that, you know, how relaxing it is, and, and owners really pick up on that. I mean, we don't have to, there's there's not a lot of bias introduced in that when we've got a pretty anxious pet that comes in, and they start to get a treatment, and they lay down, and and that's pretty evident to everyone that they're, they're starting to relax and lose some of that stress.
1: Mm-hmm. What about kind of the flip side of this, that... You know, so often our pets are taking so many cues from us, and just having the owners be able to settle a bit. Do you see that having an effect on on how the pet settles and how the pet responds to
2: treatments, Michael? That's huge. I, you know, we do what we can to to put our owners at peace uh, while they're in the office, but you know, <laughs> I think an ideal situation would be if if the owners got treated at the same time. You know, we just have so many pets that, uh, you know, their their owners or their caregivers, you know, are so emotionally tied in with the pet's welfare. Maybe it was they got the pet initially when, you know, they were married and the spouse was still alive or maybe there was a divorce involved. And, you know, such emotional things can get tied up in this relationship between our patients and, and their caregivers that that interplay of the emotional stress and and just the, the love and affection between um, animals and humans, the treating, re- respecting that and and treating that as best we can is is crucial.
1: So it really doesn't come down to anything as simple as here's a treatment, here's a response. It it it's so much more complex than that, isn't it?
2: Oh yeah, you know we we shift one thing, another thing moves and and. Um, yeah for us it's it 's trying to do our best job at at taking care of all of that and um, helping our our clients too in in the best way we can
1: yeah you know it 's interesting what you 're talking about with uh, treating the owners as well as the pets and, and I think that 's a brilliant idea i 've got i 've got well one patient right now i've at other times i 've had like uh, parents who brought kids in you know kids that had something really you know serious going on and You know, I treat the kid, and often the parent's in the same room. And, you know, I just ask them, it's like, hey, would you like a few needles just to kind of help you settle a bit, right? And I'll do some ear acupuncture, you know, just a few settling points. And they just love it. And there's another patient I see. Actually, at this point, I don't feel like I just see one patient with this particular family. Um, There's some stuff going on with the wife. Very much affects the husband. So when she's resting with acupuncture, I've just taken to giving him a treatment, because for her to get better, he needs to be strong and supported as well.
2: You bet. that That's everything, you know, that we haven't really talked about. But, you know, the additional wrinkle for us is are these end-of-life issues for for these pets. And, you know, owners wrestle with trying to, to make the right decision. And, and so, yeah, I mean, making sure that the owners are comfortable and, and that they're making good decisions for... The pet in themselves it
1: is huge. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern, or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. The observer bias is an interesting thing. I've had patients come to me and they say things like, "Well, I'm not sure if I'm better or not, but my husband mentions I don't groan when I get up out of a chair anymore, right? Or so and so's yeah. noticed that I no longer you know, do something, and so I guess I am better, but but they may not have a real sense of it for themselves."
2: Sure. And that we deal with that every day, you know, so I don't know if my pet's better. Well, you know, are they being, are they getting up the steps a little better? Well, sure. You know, or my, my, my kids notice that they're getting around a little better. So we have that same thing. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, that observational piece is really interesting to me because it seems like when something is there and bothersome, it's really there. But when it goes away, it's just not there. And we stop paying attention.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
1: I remember when I was in acupuncture school, I had a cat that was beginning to get a bit older. And uh, she was having a little trouble with getting up the stairs. She could do it, but, you know, she had a hitch in her get-along. I, I'd come across a book on veterinary and acupuncture in the school library. And so, I, uh, you know... I'm a second-year student, and I'm practicing on myself, and, you know, I'm practicing on my, you know, cohorts at the school. And I thought, well, why not see what happens with the cat, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this was a lovely cat who would sit by you for a long time, but she'd sit on your lap for maybe 10, 20 seconds. She just, she wasn't a lap cat. She'd sit near you, but not on you. But I managed to get her in my lap. I got some needles into, into her hips where I wanted to treat her and, and some distal points, too. And that cat sat on my lap for 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm curious to know what kind of reactions you see with, uh, with the animals that you treat.
2: Generally, we're seeing that sort of response you know where they're they're relaxing uh, they ease into the treatment you know occasionally we'll get patients where those points are just sensitive and they're they're going to be a little bit irritated and you know with your I imagine with your patients and I know when I get treated that you know when those points are sensitive, you might take a deep breath and let it out and and have that discomfort that temporary discomfort go away but you know I can't tell my patients that, so you know we'll do a lot of maybe some acupressure, maybe we'll use laser, uh, do some things for those patients that are a little uncomfortable, but in general, that's the response we see is that they settle right into it
1: yeah it's it's pretty interesting yeah, yeah you mentioned laser, and while I know there are some acupuncturists that use lasers. Actually, the the folks that I've talked to most recently were at the uh, um, American Academy of Medical Acupuncture, these MD doctors, and a lot of them are very, very keen on using lasers. It was surprising to me. I'm curious to know about how you use the laser and how it seems to work. What are your ideas around how lasers work versus using needles? Sure.
2: I I actually use... uh laser acupuncture a lot day to day in my practice. So I've I've used a laser for acupuncture since since the late 90s. I had a little, really tiny handheld unit um, and now I've got a, a bigger class three laser, but I find it invaluable for some of these patients that just, some of them that just don't want to sit still or uh, they're not very comfortable with it. I can use that at least to initiate a treatment, but I find that they, um, depending on the case, respond very well to to the laser acupuncture.
1: That's interesting. Uh, when you say a, a small handheld laser versus a class three laser,
2: what are we talking about here? Well, that was that was a pretty old unit, so it was like a class one. So it was basically, you know, kind of just a couple of steps above just a, a red light pointer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still got the job done because I didn't need, you know, I didn't need a lot of penetration in a lot of areas to to stimulate the point. But I and mean, I still have it; it's still plugging along. But the units have the technology has improved so much over time.
1: Yeah. So how do you... What's your thoughts on how the lasers work? I mean, from a Chinese medicine perspective, you know, let's talk chi and regulation and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. How, what's going on with a laser?
2: Well, I think, um, you know, I can vary my frequency a little bit and and do the same things we might try to do with a needle. I can, you know, set it a little hotter for tonification. I can dial it back a little bit for sedation. But... I sense that I'm getting the same kind of uh, stimulation in the office that I would with a needle, and my sense is that it's maybe lasting a bit longer than uh, once they leave the office than a traditional needle treatment.
1: And why would that be? Is that because something fundamental has been happening with the tissues there, or is there an energetic component? What's going on here?
2: Yeah, I think it's a change at the tissue level, just the stimulation of the cells with that laser. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, well.
1: between these MDs that I talked to a couple of months ago and, and hearing this from you, now I'm kind of curious. Yeah. How long do laser treatments last? How much time do you spend with a point?
2: I can, I can get what I need done in about 12 seconds, really. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah. So for those, those guys that are a little skittish, sometimes the cats, you know, too. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, allows us to, cause it allows us to get a treatment done without any hassle or minimal hassle sometimes if we've got our cat that's really not happy to be there. Yeah, and it's quick. Yeah,
1: yeah. So if you were to use needles, you'd what, retain them 15, 20 minutes or something?
2: Yeah, we'd try for 10 to 15, depending,
1: yeah. But with this laser, you're just kind of like in and out.
2: Yeah, it can, you know, it can reduce the treatment, the actual treatment time to, you know, 5 to 10 minutes then uh, well, we might do some other things, some manual therapy, some massage, Yeah, that sort of thing.
1: What other kinds of therapies are you using? Before we started rolling the tape today, you mentioned you do some cranial sacral. What other kinds of modalities are you using with uh, these
2: animals? Yeah, I do a lot of chiropractic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do some rehabilitation uh, or rehabilitative therapy. So we do some range of motion. We have an underwater treadmill um, that we use a lot. You sound like you have a really cool clinic. Oh yeah, it's I'm I'm pretty blessed to be able to do what we do. That's for sure.
1: Are you using you're using herbs with animals as well? Say that again. Uh, you're also using herbs with your yes, patients?
2: definitely, definitely Western herbs and Chinese herbs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. How do you get those in into them?
2: <laughs> that's well, it's talking cats. I mean, that's that's a that's a big barrier. But we do some powdered uh... some granular i use some uh... use a fair amount of pills and uh... so the dogs we can we can get around some liquids too we can get around uh... most dogs um, cats can be a different story so we may have that's where acupuncture is just beautiful for them because we don't have to uh... We don't have to get anything down them. and we also use a fair amount of essential oils now and and that's another beauty for cats is that that can just be petted on and and we don't need to have the client trying to administer anything.
1: Ah, nice. Now, we've been talking quite a bit cats and dogs here. Yeah. What other kinds of animals do you see?
2: That's it for me. I yeah, used to do horses but don't have time anymore. But, yeah. And there are a ton of people. I mean, there's a, there's a huge demand and probably in veterinary medicine that the demand for equine acupuncture initially outstripped that for small animals. Mm-hmm. Because horse people just want something, you know, if it works, they're going to do it. And so some of the pioneers in veterinary medicine, veterinary acupuncture, were actually uh, horse veterinarians.
1: Yeah. I've, um, when I was going to school in, well, I used to live in Seattle. When I was going to school there, there were a couple of veterinarian acupuncturists that were also studying to do acupuncture for humans. But they were, of course, making their money as veterinarians. As they were going through yeah. school and working on horses was a huge part of their practices. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. How, how would people find a veterinarian acupuncturist?
2: Well, we're a little fragmented in that sense in that there's no real good um, central clearinghouse. So I think you'll put in the show notes those references I sent you. But each training program has their own database of graduates and so certainly if a, if a veterinarian's been trained and certified through a particular program, they'll uh, be accessed there. So we have those three programs, the International Veterinary Acupuncture Association, and or Society rather, and the Chi the Institute, and then also the Medical Acupuncture for Veterinarians course. And uh, I gave you websites for those. There's also two other groups that uh, can help someone find someone for veterinary acupuncture and, and even... In another case, for any sort of holistic medicine. So, uh, the other group was the American Academy of Veterinary Acupuncture, and that's just the American chapter of the international group, and they have their own membership base and their own website. And so, you know, some veterinarians will choose to join and pay dues to one association versus another. So, it makes it a little difficult for clients to uh, to go to one place and find someone. Um, the other big group is the American Holistic. Veterinary Medical Association, and that a lot of veterinarians are members of uh, certainly any sort of veterinarian that does any sort of holistic therapy, whether it be uh, herbs or acupuncture, chiropractic or light therapy or homeopathy. And so we're listed there, the members are listed by by state and also by modalities that we perform. So if a client's looking for an acupuncturist, they can, they can go on that website and search by by area, but also by modality. So they can search specifically for acupuncture if they know they want someone that does uh, bock flower remedies or uses essential oils. They can, they can, they can limit that search and, and find someone specifically that might work with them.
1: I sometimes have patients ask me to treat their children and then I'll also have patients ask me to treat their pets. And while I've, tr- you know, I've treated my own pets in the past, and there was one emergency situation where I, I treated someone's dog. But that was an emergency situation. Yeah. I get a lot of people asking me if, if I will treat their critters. And could you give us a glimpse into what the legalities or the laws or is there even training for like regular human acupuncturists to get some sort of certification to treat, let's say, cats and dogs? Sure.
2: Um- Before I start on the flip side, I get a ton of clients who ask if I'll treat them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The programs we talked about already for veterinarians, they are strictly for veterinarians only. There are a number of states that allow um, non-veterinary acupuncturists to work on animals. The requirements are different state by state, whether that person has to be a licensed acupuncturist, which... Uh, you'd hope so that they have had at least some formal training in acupuncture. But um, there's a certification program now for licensed acupuncturists to work on animals out in Washington State. Mm-hmm. But that the legality of whether a veterinarian can refer, uh, if it requires a written referral from the veterinarian, if it requires the acupuncturist to provide written reports back to the veterinarian, that all varies, or whether it's even legal at all, varies state by state. And, you know, the the other consideration, I think, is is the, the liability part of it and, and whether or not a licensed acupuncturist can can get malpractice insurance to work on animals. I don't even know if that's the case. Yeah,
1: I, I don't either, so that's why I was bringing yeah. up the question. I'm, I, I'm curious, when you go to study up some Chinese medicine, right? I mean, I know you've been to the various trainings through some of these different uh, veterinarian programs and such you're a seasoned practitioner at this point. So when you're looking to go with a deeper dive into some material to help your patients, what do you go into? What kind of resources do you like to tap?
2: Sure. I with throughout the veterinary acupuncture community there, you know everybody we're trained the same with with the exception of the medical course i mentioned you know if we're talking chinese medicine we're we're trained basically the same way and then just like in human acupuncture i think people develop they go to things that resonate with them whether it's five element or you know meridian therapy or that sort of thing and we get the same thing in veterinary medicine where certain things appeal to certain veterinarians so we do we are uh, fortunate enough to have veterinarians with special interests like that do teaching so I may uh, seek out those people to get a better understanding of certain areas or you know we like to steal from you guys so <laughs> I'll read human literature, I'll, uh, I've taken some courses through uh, Chinese Medicine Central out there, Air Praise courses in, in uh, Portland and so I'll grab human literature, I'll grab human textbooks, I'll look at the classics, of course, the yeah. classic Chinese medicine texts, and, you know, it can all, it can all work for our patients. So um, we steal a lot from you guys.
1: Well, I think we all borrow a lot from each other. Sure. is really what it comes down to. You know, I certainly know that I learned a lot from that cat of mine when I was still in acupuncture school, in terms of being able to simply develop some observational skills, right? I couldn't ask the cat, how are you feeling, right? But I could watch the way she went up the stairs and I could watch the way that her hips moved and, and I could watch how her eating habits would change and that kind of thing.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, we get, um, we get pretty skilled at being able to ask the right questions of our, of our clients to figure out what's going on with the patient for sure. Yeah.
1: How much of your diagnostic work would you say comes from asking the owners about what's going on with their pets, and how much of it comes from putting your hands on that animal and getting information that way?
2: You know, it's—I'd say it's about fifty-fifty. We try to—we've got an intake form that we use that that tries to ask questions that will help us Chinese medicine side, and of course, the owners they have the they have the experience with the pets, so they can give us a kind of a running history over time and, and if we can ask the right questions we can get great uh, great feedback from them great information and then of course uh, being able to actually put our hands on the pet and, and do the diagnostics that way um, just coupling those th- two things together and then the great thing is to be able to explain to that client you know what, what we're looking for from a Chinese medicine front and I think it's great uh, I love doing that sort of having that sort of conversation with clients Especially if they haven't had an acupuncture experience themselves, you know, like, this is what we're looking for, and this is why we're doing this, and and, uh, I think it's really helpful for everybody.
1: Interesting. So they end up with a bit of education as well.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, and even, I mean, you know, if the first question is, if has, has the client ever had any acupuncture? And then the second question has to be, at least in my area, you know, who's it from? Is it from a licensed acupuncturist? Is it from an MD or, or even in Ohio? Is that, you know, a chiropractor that maybe has certainly a lot less training than a licensed acupuncturist would? So I have to sort of tailor my conversation to the experience they've had. And they haven't had that full Chinese medicine experience, then it's great to be able to uh, fill in the gaps for them. How do, how do people respond to that? They love to know um, why I ask the questions I asked of them. You know, does their pet prefer to be on a hard surface or a soft one? Do they, do they seek out cold places or warm places? And, and while they might think that's pretty odd to ask initially, because certainly they've never, I would imagine, never been asked that before they love to know the reasons why you know this is what i'm doing when we look at arthritis from a traditional medical allopathic standpoint you know it's defined in these couple of ways but when we approach it from a chinese medicine standpoint we can define it this many ways six or seven to nine depending on what system we're using and and that's why i asked you the questions i asked you about your pet and this is why i'm gonna or this is how i'm going to use that information i'm going to pick acupuncture points that are tailored to that and to that diagnosis and we're going to use herbs that are tailored to that diagnosis. And, and they get that. They know that, that their 10 year old Labrador that is hot and likes to seek out cool places and loves to lay on hard surfaces, you know, that their, their labs a bit different than the next one that comes through with the same arthritic hips, but, you know, likes to be on a soft surface and gets up in the bed and sleeps there all night and maybe even gets under the covers because they're cold. And that makes sense. That makes sense to them.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to me hearing this because, well, for a couple of reasons, one is when people come to see me and they're bringing their, their human self, often they'll fall into one of three categories. One is I'm skeptical and I'm not even sure why I'm here. The other one is I absolutely believe this even though they've had no experience. And then the third would be I've had some experience or I'm just kind of open-minded and curious. And sometimes the challenge for me is, is just to help people feel better without getting all the belief system engaged. It sounds like the pet owners that you see, I don't know if they've got a different mental framework that they're coming in with or if it's just because you're there, you're making observations, observations they can also see and get. And because it's their pet and not them, there's a little bit of distance. So they can really take in, oh, yeah, I see this, I see that. These things make sense, and and then they hear how you string it all together, and because maybe they're one step removed, it's a little bit easier to take it in and get it than when it's ourselves personally. That does make sense.
2: Would you get the clients that come in that just want the results? They don't they don't care how it happens, but but I think that's that's a good observation. Yeah, that, that because they're one kind of one step removed, they can look at it a little better.
1: Well, it, it it's a working theory of mine. Just noticing the um, the way that you talk about how you talk with people and again noticing my experience of having met so many people here who get acupuncture for their pets, but they haven't gotten acupuncture for themselves. And that often raises this big question mark for me, like, well, you see it helpful for your dog. Why wouldn't you try this for your own knees? And maybe it is that one step removed somehow makes it easier. I I don't
2: know. You know, Oh, I'll do anything for my pet, but I won't do it for me.
1: You know, humans are, are trickier critters to work with, aren't we? Yeah, I, I would suspect animals don't lie so much.
2: No, they do not. No. You know, we'll get some that are, that are uh, certainly t- tuned in with their owners. They may be a little hard-headed or stoic and that sort of thing, but yeah, they're, they're pretty upfront.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that, that certainly makes our job easier. Yeah. I think we're probably close to a wind-down point here. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners about veterinarian acupuncture?
2: You know, I think we've covered a lot of ground. If I could just send people away, it's with with one thing. It would be that you know, if you consider think about acupuncture for pets, it's not just for pain and arthritis. I mean, we can be a part of treating all sorts of internal medical conditions, and and we do on a daily basis. We treat pets with with asthma, with heart problems, with digestive issues, you know, all those things that, that uh, pets see a regular, so to speak, an allopathic veterinarian for, we can be, we can be part of the uh, either as an alternative or, or certainly as an integrative part of a treatment plan. And, and in a lot of cases, that can make a big difference in the quality of life for the pet.
1: You know, this is true with humans as well. We often have been led to believe that acupuncture is simply for treating pain. And there's good reason for that because it's often quite helpful for pain. But there's so much more that it can treat. And I know in my practice, the vast majority of people I see is actually for internal medicine types of issues. Yeah,
2: so that's wonderful.
1: Same, same is true with critters.
2: You bet. Yeah,
1: cool. Neil, I suspect you've got a website.
2: I do? Yeah, give, um, us, give us that. Sure. The clinic is Dancing Paws Animal Wellness Center. And so our website is uh, dancingpawsawc.com. I'll be sure to put that on the show notes. And, you know, if you
1: have any other stuff that you'd like to share with people, uh, in addition to the things you've already sent me, send those along and I'll make sure they get on the show notes as well. It, I think a lot of people will be really happy to be listening to this show and know that they've got some good options to take care of their furry friends.
2: That's great. I'd love if people took advantage of that. Yeah.
1: Wonderful to have you on the show and to connect, Neil.
2: Thank you. It's been great.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week.